Welcome to Hit Different, your weekly music culture podcast with me, Sips Beer, Mikey Carl. Coming up in this episode, oh boy, I'm going to be talking about lost albums and what you do when you, you lose work and also how to capture ideas that fall from the sky. Uh, young Sos will be talking about Adele's fourth record, which of course has just gone bazinga, gangbuster. And then we'll be catching up with uh, Tando, born in Zimbabwe, now based here, actress, singer, quadruple threat teacher, you know, life coach, all of these things, uh, which we'll find out. <laughs> She's kind of squishing her nose at that one. <laughs> You're my life coach. You're my life coach. <laughs> there we go. And here's a bit of a podcast theme song. Welcome, our co-host today. So say hello, please. Hello. Excellent. What are, what are you going to be talking about on, on the show today as well, Sos? Adele is back, baby. I didn't realize that I was as much of an Adele fan as I clearly am. We're going to be talking about the record she's been smashing and how she's clearly living her best life right now. Break it down a little bit more. Terrific. Talking to Tando about her career, in particular the Life in Color EP, which is coming out soon. Some amazing collabs on there. Your voice just soars. I've been bumping it this afternoon. So I'm in such a good mood. I've been at the beach today with my daughters, <laughs> getting back and just cranking this record out. It's a good Sennheisers. Oh, by God. Uh, uh, Tando, how are you and how have you survived this motherfucking lockdown? 6.0. Oh, my gosh. Uh, like, I'm good. I'm good for the most part. I've kept myself very busy, so that's how I've been able to get through this. Far out. And you said you were teaching earlier today? I was. I teach singing and a little bit of piano, and I have major imposter syndrome teaching piano because I barely know how to play the piano <laughs> myself, but I've been entrusted with these young people's musical education. I love it. We've all got imposter syndrome at different stages. We've talked about it lots in the past. We've talked about it with Courtney Barnett, everybody. Steve Martin, for his first two years of his career, first five years of his career, he just pretended to have confidence when he went on stage to do comedy. And uh, yeah. Anyway, hey. Here's a subscription read. <clears throat> Support Hit Different and other mushroom podcasts covering Australian music by becoming a subscriber. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts. You know what they say in Apple Podcasts today, dot, dot, dot. Or check out the episode notes. You get early access, ad-free episodes, and anything else we can pull together, exclamation mark. Most importantly, you'll be contributing to original local music journalism. Thank you. Free trial on Apple. Hello, Apple. I like you, Apple. <laughs> and only $1 for the first month everywhere else. In the It's in the episode notes where you're listening now. Okay. Sabouge, as they say in French. It means things are really moving. And they are. Because after this bit of music, we're going to get into it. Young Thug, US rapper. I love Young Thug's music and, and how he presents himself. He's a bit of a knob. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Is that why you like him? Uh, it's the full package with Young Thug. You know, he he's just, wow, he's something else. Why is he in the news? Great question. Uh, let me tell you why. This is via Tone Deaf, via Digital Music News. Also, US rapper Young Thug has filed a lawsuit against a luxury apartment building in Atlanta. The rapper claims that the building's concierge was responsible for the loss of the bag containing Quite expensive valuables. They were $40,000 in cash. Bro, no one uses cash anymore. A diamond encrusted watch worth around 57K, a diamond chain valued at just, you know, 37K, and a hard drive containing approximately 200 unreleased songs, which the rapper claimed is worth at least $1 million. Debatable. I would say that it's worth way more. Like that, that, that last one, I would say. These young, like hip hop artists on streaming services do 
Very well. Very, very well. So yeah, he's suing the building for damages, citing negligence. This is how it went down. So took place last year, November 1st. Young Thug accidentally misplaced his Louis Vuitton bag next to his Lamborghini. Just casually. There's a sentence the three of us can relate to. <laughs> I'm starting to think like he may be the problem here. Um. Yaha. A resident reported to the building concierge. He placed it in the care of an employee. I mean, someone's just gone, okay, well, let's just take this, you know, from, from Young Thug. It's, uh, yeah, it's all going to go to trial. Unspecified value of funds to cover litigation and attorney's fees. It just sounds like a nightmare for everybody from a guy that perhaps should have just taken better care of his shit. I mean, I've lost lost weed, I've lost wallets, I've lost all kinds of things in my life. I didn't go around trying to sue people for it. <laughs> just it like it just puts a new meaning on the term fumbling the bag, like quite literally. <laughs> Love it. This whole situation reminds me of this time my band and I were in LA and my keys player left his backpack which had his laptop and all his sounds and all the things we needed for our set left it in like the hotel concierge thing quite similar to this and when we came back after our showcase that night the backpack was missing like they couldn't account for it he didn't he didn't get a little ticket thing for it when he checked it in though so we just the rest of the trip was very very awkward because he was feeling like a bit of a goose but this situation is just giving me flashbacks to that wow i love the unprompted anecdote because i was going to ask you tando's getting triggered a lot right now (laughs) he was like whoa yeah Mm-mm. How did he pull through for you for the rest of the tour? Oh, he just had to make it up as he went along. So we did our set with none of the pre-programmed sounds. We just had to use oh, whatever wow. was preloaded into the Korg that he was using on the day. It was, That's pretty good. It wasn't, wasn't that good, but no. we got through it. <laughs> it was probably amazing, but just, yeah, you guys – and that's, I guess, sort of, you know, the crux of what we're going to be talking about as, as well, sort of in terms of sort of capturing ideas, et cetera, and uh, having to improvise. Some other things that have got lost along the way in terms of music. Beck, in the, in the Universal Fire, Beck lost a double album of solo Hank Williams covers, um, a pre-Odelay LP of indie rock songs. Beck's my guy. That sounded like Pavement slash Sebadoa. Amazing. A full record of Beck backed by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Uh, an album's worth of outtakes from Sea Change, the Grammy-nominated, sorry, Grammy-winning record, which is just all that. You know, Brian Wilson recovered Smile after many, many years, and it was very well received when he put that out. History, the history of music, you know, it, it all it goes back to that the first time I ever saw my mum lose on our Apple Mac. Sorry, Apple to talk shit about your shitty product back <laughs> in 1984. She's like, I lost a whole seven hours of work and that feeling of losing work. Nah. And Oh my God. Have you, have you ever lost the, the ultimate song Tando? Um, and what did you do? And also at night when it, when a song comes to you or an idea comes to you or wherever you are, how do you capture it? I'm so grateful to be in this like era where technology is just so easily accessible. The second something comes to me, I just pull my phone out and do my voice memos that it's just like the most unbeatable way to record an idea. I don't need pen, don't need paper, but the one thing that is always in my hand is my phone. (laughs) (laughs) At all times. One good thing about that addiction. uh, That's it. Can you think of of a song, even like, let's let's do a fun little game. I did this years ago with, God, the artist would come to me. Has has a song come to you uh, that uh, that you've gone back to your notes later on? Like, is, is there anything you want to tell us about, even from the Life in Color EP? Probably the first time I wrote the song Rewrite It, which features on the EP, we've been working on this thing for like the past four four years. And the way that the EP sounded or the way these songs sounded when we were initially putting them together is miles different from what it is now. And that's truly because of me coming up with an idea and not writing it down or not recording it. 
melodic ideas gone. There's just been no way to recover them. And I think maybe subconsciously they'll bleed themselves into these arrangements as time goes on because they're definitely locked away somewhere. But my memory is not the best since I've had a child. I think pregnancy (laughs) brain is a real thing and my memory is forever altered. So yeah, I don't think I'm getting them back. Wow. And like, let's all get out our phones now. What's the last, the last note? You're going to go through it. Your your notes in your phone and you're just going to go, and you're just going to land on something. I'll quickly answer, answer the question I just asked. 90s brunch playlist. I'm DJing a 90s brunch residency. And the things are, my, my fave game, Cardigans, must play that. Lady by Mojo, must play that. Music sounds better. Stardust and Gwen Stefani. These are reminders of tracks I need to play at my next residency of 90s R&B brunch. brunch. Throwback. What, what's uh, what's in your phones, guys? Uh, I'm nervous. Ooh, uh, the last notes <laughs> I have, <laughs> the last notes I have in my phone are recipes for cocktails. So you can tell how my lockdown's been going. Um <laughs> <laughs> random bank account details. I think that's uh, maybe all I should say about these transactions that are clearly in my notes that I can't remember. Um, <laughs> recipes and bank details. Need my drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Very good. Very good. I've just got like some ad lib ideas for a song I'm writing for my album. Keep so. talking. Okay. Keep talking. I mean, there's not really much else I can say about that. I was just ad libbing, but... um. Yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to write this album in lockdown, juggling a toddler and a full time job, and it's Oof. not it's not working. <laughs> so that's as much as I've done. Yeah. There's a wow. little vocal idea in there. You've started it though, and that's what matters. Exactly, it's the hardest yeah, part. Yeah, that's it. Plugging away. <laughs> Is the start hardest part starting or finishing? I think with a piece of art. It's... Mm, for me, I would say definitely starting. I just don't have time. So making the time to be able to just like commit my creative process and like my time Mm. and energy is, is a whole thing. Like if I don't schedule time with my family and for someone to watch my daughter and to just be completely uninterrupted, it's Mm. just not going to happen. Yeah. I did remember the person. So Meg Mack, I did the first ever interview with Meg Mack was me and her, which is heaps of fun. Uh, Halfway through we were talking about notes and she went through and she was like, oh, and we played, we both played the game. And yeah, she, she found a song idea too that she's like, oh, I'm going to keep working on that, which is fun. <laughs> nice. And that's really dope. Jenny, Jenny McKechnie from Cable Ties, who did the same thing. And same thing. She's like, oh, I've been working on that song. I forgot all about it. And went back. It was like this full like Rage Against the Machine kind of anti-establishment, very Cable Ties. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's a fun game. And we hit different uh, listeners, greatest fans in the world. Um, please play <laughs> that game. Play it with your friends. You know, we're coming out of lockdown. Get weird. Let's get weird. Um, calm down, mate. Calm down. There is a very funny bit in uh, in, in Seinfeld where uh, Jerry gets the astronaut's pencil in the middle of the night, obviously pre phones. He could get up and write without actually getting up. He could write ideas for, for jokes, etc. cetera. Um, segue into sort of inspiration f- for you, Tando. Is it something where you're washing the dishes and an idea comes? Are you on stage singing a song? And then a, like, where, where do these come from? How do they drop from the sky? Well, speaking about being on stage, um, a few years ago I started sort of experimenting with like improv gigs. So we just we would stage jam gigs and I would just stick my phone at the front of the stage and different musicians would come on and off stage and just start a musical idea and I'd have to turn this idea into a fully-fledged song on the spot. That's awesome. So that process was really good because cool. it sort of, yeah, pulled me out of my comfort zone and I found – that I was a lot more, just in general, I'm a lot more fearless when I am trying ideas, whether it's vocally, melodically, or even lyrically when I'm on stage, because I think it's just the adrenaline and being in that like sort of high pressure environment. So 
the voice recordings from that have become songs, which That's is really awesome. exciting. Unreal. Yeah, because it doesn't really um, – it takes a lot for me to find inspiration just in my day-to-day. Like if I don't sit down with the intention of creating something and sort of set that as a task for myself, I can go I can go months without writing anything. You know, I, after I became a parent, I thought that it would be really easy for me to just sit down and write a song about the experience and how my life has changed, but <laughs> it took literally till just after Charlie, her name's Charlie, till after her second birthday for me to finally be able to articulate what I felt and put it into music. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. My my inspiration comes from being under pressure, I guess. Wonderful. Yeah. that That's also sort of ties in with your acting background, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's so funny. I laugh at that because I, I've done a couple of stage shows, but I feel like it is an insult <laughs> to my acting peers to call myself <laughs> a thespian. You're a thespian, darling. Oh, but you know what? Yeah, there is definitely an element of acting to like my stage persona and my character because you've got to like switch it on totally. and just like, yeah, perform. So, yes, okay, I'll wear that hat. But yeah, it's <laughs> definitely that. You've got to sort of put yourself in a different set of shoes to be able to like get the idea and commit yeah. to it and do it justice. So, totally. Yeah. Commit to the bit. Because um, when I first spoke to you, Tando, uh, I was working at the good old, good old Herald Sun. Um, <laughs> And and it was about an acting job you had. I'm trying to think what it was. It was it was five six years ago now. Do you remember what it was? Was it something at Chapel of Chapel or La Mama? Where was it? Oh Lord. Okay. If it was that, <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, it was a David Bowie and Freddie Mercury like show. Yep. It was called Bowie and Mercury Rising, and it played at Chapel of Chapel. And I was. It was like a one woman show with a with a, an interpretive dancer and the pianist, like the show's composer, and it was just the three of us on the stage and I was delivering these monologues and singing these Bowie and Freddie Mercury songs and none of it made sense and I just <laughs> – <laughs> and I, I tell you, I I always read the reviews because I want to know how what I've done has been received. What and I think I read the first <laughs> review for that show and I was like, I am never doing theatre again. That <laughs> – that was messed up. Savage. Was it Cameron Woodhead from the Age? Did he? Because he he loves really giving. I wouldn't. She's repressed. Even honest, like, she's repressed. She's repressed it. Listen, this is a memory that does not exist waving anymore. Waving her hand like, sir, <laughs> not the joy <laughs> you're looking you for. Yeah. <laughs> not today, sir. Not right. today. Oh All god. Right. Sorry to put you under pressure. Uh, no. Man, oh man. But it's funny, like, and something I've I've noticed with lockdown, all these fucking lockdowns, and. Maybe after next week, we'll never mention L or the or the, or the C bomb again. But you know, you go through these moments in your life, and you you can almost look back them, uh, look back on them as they're happening. Like when you're reading that review, you're probably going, "Shit, this person is right." This person, I mean, I'm going to sound too harsh. You know, it's almost in real time. You're having that that grow, grown up moment. Mm. After that, how did you respond? I mean, it was really easy for me to just be like, I'm never acting again. I'm shit. I'm never doing it (laughs) and just pull myself out of it completely. But it was a really good learning curve because I think for a long time, and I I really don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I've always been really good at what I do and I've... I've never been given any real constructive criticism and no one's ever been like, that was shit. No one has ever, well, whether they say it to my face or not, but I tend to surround myself with people that will give it to me straight and apparently, well, or maybe I'm not surrounding myself with people that give it to me straight. I don't know, but it was really confronting. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, I know that I, I now know that I'm not 
as good of an actor as, as I would like to think that I am. So I can either take this feedback and expand and grow and do better for the next time I'm offered an opportunity like this, or I can bow out and just know that this isn't my bag and maybe not put that I'm an actor on my resume just because I've done a couple of shows. So, um, yeah, no, I just, it taught me when to sort of take a step back. I've had that experience. I can tick it off, but that's no longer something for me to pursue. Fantastic. And we'll be getting into uh, Dream Girls later and you're talking all about <laughs> different things that you have done, that you have done. Speaking of Dream Girls, I've got two on the line now. Hey! Friends, hunt myself down, hunt me down. Just try it. Uh, and Sos and Tanda, we're all on socials. Get at us. We like to discuss Hit Different. Definitely a really nice energy around this show. I've got some nice texts about it today. A friend of mine, Zoe Radis, texted me actually. I'll quickly read it to you because I was like, did I say that on the show? Quote, talking mugs. It feels like the end is in sight. Not just death, but lockdown. Anyway, obviously I said that. Love that. Delightful. So here we are. <laughs> In a second, we are going to be talking about Adele's forthcoming. She just gets stronger and bigger and better, and she's living her best life. Mm-hmm. So's the boss. Yeah. Talking about Adele. Miss Adele. Give it to us straight. So she's back. Plain and simple. She has been, well, she was gone for six years. Ahead of last weekend, she dropped her first piece of new music in, in yeah, such a long time. A new single called Easy On Me. The rollout around this has been pretty mysterious. I remembered seeing there were posters going up. There were like projections on buildings around the globe uh, with the number 30, which is going to be the name of her new album, kind of following this theme of like, charting different specific ages in her life um and this is the first we're hearing from that record apparently there were three different single options on the table for her to lead with um and she felt like this was kind of the best way to 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 capture the mode of it you know she's I feel like she's in this she's been in a real transitional phase of her life gone through a very public divorce um, you know, is now sort of rebuilding herself as a public figure. You know, she's also a parent too. Like all of this stuff is going on in Adele's life. But this song has broken so many records. I was doing some research on it earlier. Earlier on, it took five hours for the single to make its debut on the Billboard 100. Five freaking hours. Streaming, like in terms of streaming, it's broken the mo- the streaming record for the most streams in a day. We're talking 24 million streams in 24 hours alone on Amazon Music. It now holds the record for the most streams on a single song in the history of Amazon Music oh, wow. itself, which is mental. It's mental. And it's like it hasn't even been out that, like even now it still hasn't been out a full week. Well, by the time this goes out, it will have been. Yeah, I found I thought this was super interesting to talk about because I feel like pop music now is in a very different space to where it was the last time she released a record, which is 2015. Like, we look about the records that were coming out at that time, it was very much, um, you know, for example, Courtney Barnett's first album was coming out around that time. To Pimp a Butterfly was coming out around that time. You had Sufjan Stevens with Carrie and Lowell, Mark Ronson with Uptown Special. Like, it was very different to what we have now, I feel. Um, 
So for Adele to come back with a song that is still quite minimal in terms of its arrangement, it's like the, the biggest thing about the song is her voice. It kind of, it, it like, it made me feel really good in on the inside because my like, people are just drawn to her voice and they're drawn to the way that she presents herself and the way that she can really inject emotion into her storytelling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I would never call myself like an Adele super fan by any stretch of the imagination, but she can write a freaking song and she oh, can yeah. sing, she can sing, she can sing. Um, have you guys heard it? Yes. I have. T- talk to us, Tando. Thoughts? I-, I loved it. I wasn't expecting her to come out with, you know, a trap song <laughs> or like an overly produced, crazy, like just not on brand vibe. Yeah. Um, so I think I really appreciate that. It was. It's very much Adele. Um, and I think exactly what you mentioned about the biggest pulling point being her voice and obviously knowing that she'd had surgery for you know vocal nodules or whatever else had gone wrong with her voice before to be able to come back out after so long and be vulnerable with her instrument like that Mm -hmm. like I just commend her greatly and singing ballads is not easy so she showed she still got it especially when like your bread and butter is largely in balladry you know being able to Mm -hmm. keep it interesting and to be able to like you said keep your voice and your instrument that well in check especially after surgeries and also just years and years of touring and performing live yeah I don't even exactly I don't even know it's just made such incredible fodder for the TikTok generation oh, totally. <laughs> just watching all the videos coming out of it is just hilarious really it's beautiful the yeah yeah honestly like because I don't know how connected that TikTok generation is with Adele. Like she's our Adele, you totally. know. So to see them embracing, <laughs> to see them embracing her the way they have, and just like finding these other contexts for the song mm. is absolutely brilliant. So it just shows it transcends generations. Yeah, and there's Adele's an easy on me, through. yeah, easy on me challenge for TikTok, a singing compilation, <laughs> just like that. Well, there you go. I mean, of, co- I mean, of course, there is. Um, I, I'm, I was lucky enough to speak to Adele for her first record, 19, I think it was her first record. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, oh, love. She, I was asking about it. She's like, you know, I've tried Notion of Tears, you know, oh, I've gone through so many packets of tissues. And this whole thing where she, she seems to always just like wait until some utter heartbreak and then go, uh-uh, I'm going to pull the judo move and then just, you know, outcome. like I'm, I'm looking forward to um Adele's uh, uh 65 record when she's up to her fourth husband <laughs> fourth husband <laughs> um actually if, going at the rate she's going she went to like her 15th husband I don't know I'm, no. I'm messing around. but I'm messing around um but this is such a such a, a great way to just to go this is my life here it is again here's another chunk of it and even the stuff she was doing on online the other day when she was doing a bit of a a Q&A, like a live streaming thing. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. It became instantly iconic the way she was just like, oh, no, what's that? Go away. <laughs> I love it. Sort of throwing that out there. I love um, it. Tando, with, with you, with everything you're going through uh, and just, just life life in general have been through, um, how to the bone do you go with, with your music? And when you're writing something, is there other moments where you're going, oh, I'm going to cover that in a metaphor or I'm just going to go out with it? Uh, look, I, I guess it depends what it is I'm I'm actually chronicling. Um, you know, for people that come and see me play live um, prior to releasing Life in Colour, a lot of my repertoire always sort of chronicled my relationship 
Um, and it's funny because I've been in a romantic relationship with one of my band members for the whole time this project has been a thing. So we've been together for about, yeah, nine, almost 10 years now. And every song about being happy together and things falling apart and things being hard has been literally about us. And you've so got to play through the- it as well. Truly, like, you know, and there's no, it's nothing is open to interpretation because people that know me know (laughs) that. So they'll come and watch the show. They'll hear me, you know, having a moment in my lyrics where I may be talking about like, I don't know, betrayal or feeling let down and they can put, they can make that connection between these two people. And I think by sort of having it play out in front of them in that way, they kind of feel like they're part of some intimate thing. So I think the way that I've always written when it comes to relationships, not that I avoid metaphors, but like I think about the way that I speak and the way that I just am in general and I I feel like I'm pretty cut dry and just sort of straight to the point. So my music tends to be like that, not for any other reason apart from that's just how I communicate. What was really interesting with Life in Colour, not that I wanted to keep it vague, but I I, I realised that the black experience is not is not homogenous um, here in Australia. And I wanted to kind of keep it broad enough that someone who's maybe walked a different path, you know, existing in the space um, as I have would be able to listen to the record and still relate to it and not feel like, okay, this obviously isn't for me because I haven't had this kind of experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lots of metaphors there. (laughs) I like it. And that's a real art to that as well. Art to the art of drawing people in, but also keeping, you know, your authenticity and your sense of self. Um, other girls featuring Kai, I spoke to Kai yesterday, I had a great chat with her for enemy. What a, what a gem. Yeah. Also someone else born in Zimbabwe. Um, is other girls, is that a bit of a, something about, uh, maybe a bad, <laughs> whoa. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Other girls, other girls is like <laughs> is born from the experience that black and brown women have when they are navigating the dating scene and stepping outside of their own race or cultural groups. Like people are aware of fetishization, but they don't realize just like how mm-hmm. bad it is, and it's just like it just becomes like your only trait when you exist on you know dating sites. You're not seen for who you are as a person. It's like, oh, I've never been with a black girl before. Yeah. I want to want to try some chocolate. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like honestly, yeah. it's it's so gross. Yeah. You know. And I'm really lucky I have been in a relationship in the whole time that Tinder's been a thing or a lot of these apps. So these aren't experiences that I've had, but my sisters are navigating the dating scene and the stories they've told me are just like horrendous. Like, so I was just like, no, we have to, we have to put this in a song and it has to be just like sort of tongue in cheek and just kind of, kind of cheeky, kind of (laughs) funny and hopefully educate some potential suitors about what yes. not to say. <laughs> potential suitors, if you're listening, I hope this is a learning experience for all of hopefully. you. Hopefully. As, it, sh- as it should be. Just be respectful and, and be funny. You know, check, check, your, uh, check your caucasity, you know. Check your caucasity. Caucasity. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, it, sometimes, like, I remember but when I was briefly on the dating apps before I met my partner, some of the messages I would get, I'm like, would you, you would never say this to a person's face. You would mm-hmm. never, you would never come Before at you. Before I met you, like, so okay, so just back <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Keep but I mean, that's the thing with these, like the internet and technology in general has just emboldened people to just totally. kind of be this version of themselves online. That's, 
they would never be in person. So, <laughs> yeah, I've got to check it right there and then. Any other mm. sort of closing thoughts on, on Adele? And, you know, we'd love to see her out here. I am happy for her. Mm. Touch on how she's living her best life now. She's gone through a messy public divorce. I mean, she looks incredible for one. Not, but I always thought she was gorgeous anyway. But it seems like she's like in a really like healthy and happy space. The men she's got in her life, like I've heard the the saying of like people dating their wage or dating like at their level, and I feel like mm. she's definitely like she's in a power couple right now, and I'm I'm here for that for her. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Our girl Adele, because she has to um, be like uh, our girl, doesn't she? Yeah, no, she, she's ours. Like I said, <laughs> she's our generation's. Yeah, yeah. Now look, she's amazing and I think it's been really great to watch her maintain, for a singer anyway from my perspective, maintain the musicianship in her music and she's grown and she's elevated but she's always sort of stayed true to, you know, her writing and her performance and it's just always really grounding and really refreshing to see someone on that kind of platform make it about the voice. It's so important to have that voice, yeah. What Incredible. it does too, I reckon, is a lot of people who quote unquote, I just like whatever's on the radio, those kind of people get more passionate about music when Adele puts out a, a track. You know, they are mm-hmm. drawn more to music. They'll listen, they'll share it with their friends. It becomes more of a zeitgeisty. It becomes more of a thing, like water cooler talk, all those things because of the power of, of Adele. Mm. You know, I love Stormzy in Big for Your Boots too. I was in the O2 singing my lungs out, Rude Boy. <laughs> You're never too big for Adele. I love that. Every time I sing that, it hits me. A few years old now, but it's so good. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to be talking about Tando, mother, singer, actress, mentor, all these things, all these things. You can say actress, but not songstress. You know this. Um, they're the new rules. Uh, there's something we should be covering on the show. Hit us up. We're all on Twitter, as we said, in a second, friends, in a second. Hey, welcome back. Two hit different. You've come to the main course now. We're giving you delicious hors d'oeuvres as we build up. Mm-hmm. Hors d'oeuvres, weird word. As we build up to talking about Tando. Tando, what makes you happy every day? My health. Mm. This this pandemic has just like made me realize how much I was taking my health for granted. And I've just had this huge shift in the things that matter to me and that are important to me. And I want to be around for a long time, you know, be there for my child or subsequent children and just live my best life. So yeah, definitely happy to wake up every day with air in my lungs and yeah, just be able to live. And you said you have been keeping healthy and keep yourself busy. What's a, what's a day in the life of Tando at the moment? I'll get up. Well, I'll be woken up at <laughs> any time between 6 and 7am by my daughter. <laughs> Yay! Go into the lounge room, watch cartoons and drink a coffee before I start my day of working from home. So I teach some days. I help coordinate a mentorship program with Mushroom Group, actually, um, for the rest of the week. Yeah, and I'm on my laptop for maybe nine hours in a day and then I shut it off and I get to be mum. I make dinner, hang out with my daughter, give her a bath, put her to bed, and that's every single day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's about to change. So I know you've got some questions for our guest. Tando and I go quite a ways back now and I feel very privileged to have seen, you know, to have seen you grow and develop as an artist and as a vocalist over the years. I remember one of the last shows I saw of yours was, it feels like a millennium ago just because of the stupid time that we're in. But um, thinking back on it now, there's something about the live energy that you kind of construct within a crowd that has always been so unique to me. And now that I think about this new EP, 
I feel like that's kind of what's exciting me the most because I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like to, to sort of see it brought into the live space. For you as a performer, where does that spirit come from? Where where can you remember that, that first sort of charge of, yes, this electricity is for me, this is, this is what I want to do with my life? Where did that come from for you? I'd probably say the earliest memory... I've got a couple, but probably the earliest one, I was watching um, a cassette tape. My dad had filmed Queen playing at Wembley as part of, I think it was Live Aid. Live or, Aid. I, I don't know. Um, and Freddie Mercury was having this call and response moment with the audience. And every time my dad would play that tape, I would be standing with my eyes like glued <laughs> onto the TV, like as if I was there. And it went from like being excited about doing the call and response with Freddie to me doing, doing it the call with Freddie and then having the audience do it back. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, yeah, I just – and I I have goosebumps now actually thinking about (laughs) it because I think that's not something that I ever really realised at the time. Obviously, I was a child. (laughs) And then I grew up singing in church, as as cliché as that is, but I grew up singing in church and I think just being in front of people and because when you sing in church it's it's – it's not it's not about you yeah and people aren't there watching you you're sort of like the vessel and you're serving something else that's bigger than you seeing people's responses to what I was helping coordinate just made me feel like wow this is such a massive responsibility and to be trusted with people's emotions and to be able to have them see themselves and to feel something through me is such a huge opportunity to just kind of connect and to make an impact on people and I just kind of knew from that day that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Sure. Um, there's never been any other option for me from then. Like any time I've ever tried anything else, like I'm shit ass. I can't cook. I can't. I can't sew. I can't, I can't cook, do anything can with clean. my hands. <laughs> yeah, I, that is not how I got this ring. Um, yeah. <laughs> just a little uh, cardi reference there, but yeah, yeah. nah. I Freddie. Freddie started it for me. And Freddy-tastic. And when did you realize you had a, actually had a decent voice? Because this could have all been great. Might have been able to sing. <laughs> my brother doesn't listen to my podcast. He's in a lot of choirs. That's all I'll oh. say. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I love him. I think um, I don't want to say that I've always known that I have a decent voice, but like people have always told me, like from a young age, like I just I've just always been told, and I think because it was just such a a normal thing to hear for me. It was like, okay, cool. Like that was the affirmation I needed and that's what I needed to know that I was good. And then when I would enter spaces where I was, you know, refining on that craft, so like my first singing teacher, we would spend our lessons duetting and like riffing off each other and I was challenged and she was challenged and it was just such a great space for me to sort of find myself and find my voice and I really credit her with a lot of the love that I have for singing in general it, it it's never been a chore it's never been a job it's never been this tedious thing that I'm like oh I don't want to do my lessons this week Ugh. I've always been really excited and really hyped up because of how she made me feel in our lessons so yeah I think it's just yeah having that affirmation from people around me that's why it's so important to let people know if you love what they're doing because like you don't know what that might do for them and, and their confidence Absolutely. I feel like I know we're going to get into the EP a little bit further, but I feel like that directly ties into to what you were talking about before in that 
you know, not everybody's journey is the same one or, you know, not everyone's experience is the same one. So I feel like having as many open conversations and dialogues as possible, I feel like that's that's so crucial and the fact that you're able to, to do it through music, um, which, you know, is a vessel that connects many, whether it's a conscious thing or not. I, I, I feel like that's a dream job if you can do it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've been I've been very very lucky, very honored to be able to make music my be all and end all. And I really thought that this pandemic would take all of that away. <laughs> I yeah, really did. Yeah. Um and it did for a moment, but I've just been so humbled by the amount of support that people have continued to give me and people looking forward to things starting again and booking tickets to my shows again as if like nothing happened. So it's it's been really incredible being able to keep a roof over my head by doing what I love. Mm. Um, also now being a parent, how has that sort of shifted the creative mindset, which I think is a, um, a source question, which I've just ripped, ripped you off. But uh, yeah, tell us about, I guess, a lot of parents I speak to that are musos are like, I, I now have a deadline that I have to do this before my child wakes up or I've got mm. 40 minutes now, let's go. It's very that. I think the first the first year of my daughter's life, it was a lot easier for me to just kind of like stay motivated and to create because she was so young and she was just really chill and she didn't she wasn't as demanding. <laughs> so I'd be recording demos on our bed with her like asleep in my lap and I'm just like holding my mic and just like going into my interface. Like that that was how I was writing and creating demos and stuff throughout that period of time. So that was really great. Um, as soon as she realized she had autonomy, (laughs) (laughs) damn it, it just, damn it, complete 180, like everything's on her schedule now. So it's just been sort of learning how to, you know, make time to be an involved and active parent. I never want to be a passive parent. And I think something that I've been struggling with, especially while we've been in lockdown 6.0 is working from home with a child. I've just, I have had no time to be able to be creative. I haven't had the time to just like step back because if I'm not doing my job, I want to be hundred percent there for my daughter. And I don't want her earliest memories of, you know, being my daughter, me just on my computer or on my phone all the time. Yeah. Cause I feel like that would just be, so it's, it's really hard. I think the older she gets, the more I have to be conscious of the amount of time that I'm investing in my creative process. And I actually have to, yeah, exactly. Like schedule it in. There's less opportunity for it to be organic, which is why, you know, as we spoke about earlier, I need to have my phone on me because if something comes to me in a moment where I'm not thinking it's going to, I've got to be able to capture it there and then, because if I lose it, then it's like trying to get blood out of a rock when I'm sitting down (laughs) in my scheduled 45 minutes a day. Is that how you're finding it too, Mikey, uh, I, having two little ones? Like the, the scheduling and deadlines? It's, yeah, it's full on. Like my partner's pretty much working sort of 8 or 8.30 to like one thirty-two, and then I'm t- taking over until 5. Uh, and we, So I could do work until 5 and then we're kind of, you know, at night we're both working, you know, just to get, just to stay on, on top of everything, which is, uh, you know, a sort of, we're lucky in that we kind of take the piss out of each other and sort of talk about how we're becoming disconnected and all that kind of stuff. And we're just going to go, you know, just going to, just going to keep sort of running with it. But it's definitely been like to hear, you know, hear a three-year-old saying, is lockdown over yet, Papa? You know, that breaks your heart. You know, it sort of chips away at your soul. Good thing is by the time this lands, my friends, it will be. And then we're never going back there again. Never going. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, And I, honestly, it's, I think I'm having moments of absolute clarity at the moment, like a bit of fog and then clarity. And I'm just trying to get 
as much of that clarity because the clarity that's coming along is just being me being able to zoom out on this whole situation and going all oh, right it is go time now like it is time to really just be free and, and emancipate and you know just uh, all of that um all that's played into you know what has been a gnarly gnarly time for the whole fucking world as well so it's good to have music to sort of come back to every time like this life in color EP. How, where did you record it? And, um, you know, cause the Remy track's been hanging around since 2018. I'm really happy you put it on as, as track seven, cause that's such a, such a jam. It's over, over a million streams, if you don't mind. Um, but yeah, <laughs> where, where did you, uh, yeah. Where, where did you sort of, how did you make this happen? I was really lucky. I managed to secure some funding through creative Victoria. So that was, such a blessing because I had no money <laughs> back then <laughs> to make a project happen. Um, so yeah, we started working on this in 2018 and initially I just wanted to collaborate with all my favorite Zimbabwean artists because I realized that there's so many of us here in Melbourne and I just thought it'd be really cool to get together and just share our experiences and, you know, being black in Australia is such a, it's such a thing. <laughs> It's a thing um, because there's so many different ways of existing as a black person in this country. So it was really interesting coming together and sort of sharing stories and realising where they intersect and where they just completely go astray because we all had different experiences coming through. Like I came to Australia with my family when I was seven years old. Um, a few of us on the record were born here and a few others had lived in another country before they'd come to Australia. So just all sort of dealing with culture shock and sort of putting it into the music. Um, a really big theme that we sort of explored in the early stages was sort of that pressure to assimilate. Um, and that sort of narrative started to solidify and sort of form itself after I wrote Numb. Um, so initially when I'd written Numb, it was just about sort of feeling like you know, that idea of like having to be drunk at a party full of people that you just have nothing in common with. And that's the only way that you can sort of get through it. Yep. <laughs> yes. So it just, it sort of came from Tell that. Us. And <laughs> it wasn't until Remy's verse that I realized subconsciously, I was like tapping into this, like, why do I feel like I'm not quite where I need to be? Like, why do I feel like I'm not who I truly am when I'm in this space. So I wanted to use this EP to kind of unpack that a bit more. Um, yeah. And it was really interesting because the messaging sort of, um, sort of evolved over the past few years. I think 2018 was a very turbulent time for me as far as, you know, becoming very outwardly, like outwardly vocal about my position, you know, with race, race politics or like identity politics. And, um, I got woke <laughs> and I, I just, I wanted to let the world know and I wanted to, you know, speak out about things that I didn't like and to make sure that I was surrounding myself with people that could get on board or get lost. Um, and I kind of realized that there are, I don't know, it, I, don't, I don't know how to say this without it's seeming like I tone policed myself because I definitely didn't. <laughs> I, I, I let my anger come out in, um, in gag order. And then that single came out before the rest of the EP was ready to go. And I think because I just wasn't quite sure about the message and the way that it had been conveyed, I just kind of held off on releasing it until I was really, really sure that I wanted to put the record out in the world the way it was. And I'm really glad that I waited because I was able to go back and sort of 
articulate myself a bit better. And I think having my daughter gave me some perspective because um, for, for people that don't know, my partner is a white Australian man. So obviously we've had a biracial child and I wanted her to be able to be proud of being black, but to also acknowledge the privilege that she was going to walk through this life in. And I didn't want her to look at this record as a, oh, woe is me, being black is so hard and there's nothing good that comes out of existing in in predominantly white spaces for black people. I didn't want her to sort of have that mentality from the get-go. I didn't think that was fair. Um, So I had to figure out a way to sort of articulate that, yes, shit gets hard sometimes, but know that it gets better. You just have to be aware and you have to surround yourself with people that will love you and embrace you for who you are and will educate you and you can educate them. And hopefully that means that your generation carries this message on and creates a more inclusive world. (laughs) Like that word is obviously just like so used in everything, but very much that you want, you want to be able to create a space. Everyone can exist completely as they are and not need to change themselves just to be comfortable and just to get by mm. in a nutshell. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. No, I always do this. It's great. No, it's terrific. I think it's a very good way to sort of go out on, on this, on this episode as well, you know, and as a, as a white person, I'm always happy to shut the fuck up and, and listen and, Bless you, know, you. <laughs> and, and freaking learn, and, you know, just even that st- stuff you're saying about to exist in so many different ways as, as a black person. And of course it's just like, yeah, you know, this, you know, is she a cool black person or is that a black person? Like all those different ways that, you know, as humans coming upon you every single day, every time you get on a bus, every time you walk into a shop, having that judgment, even if it says microaggressions or even just whatever else, even if it's people that be overly enthusiastic to see you and yeah. all that stuff, all that stuff. Stella Young, um, the comedian who passed away a few years ago, who had some sort of a, a disability, she did this whole comedy festival show about like she was in a wheelchair and everything. She's like, now let me tell you able-bodied people. Yes, I'm fine. No, I don't need your help. Yes, I can get on this tram. And she just went through one by one of all the things every day that someone's like coming over being so condescending and they mean well, but if it's the fourth time you've heard it in 10 minutes, you're like, all right, mate. So yeah, just that, those different ways that, that Australians, very specific, I think to, to Australia, that we kind of go, what do I do here? What's the best thing to do? I even had a chat with a friend of mine the other day about how to ask where a person's from. And she straight away sort of said, you don't, you don't. I said, no, I think, I think it's about intention. I said, and I also, we sort of had a good chat, but it got a bit black and white at first. And then we kind of, yeah, it, it sort of it became more nuanced when saying, my intention can be good, but I've also reading the room. If this person, I'm like, well, I say, say, obviously you're Australian, you know, what's your heritage? But asking about, asking in a really kind of a respectful way, sort of a, it could be irreverent, however that person, however, whatever energy you're feeling from that person, whether they want to be asked as well. And, and she's, she made a really good point too. You know, I can have the best intentions. You, you can have a good intention, Mikey, but that person, maybe they've been asked that four times t- today. Maybe they're fucking sick of, sick of answering that question. So, that's something I, I, I'm always happy to make a bit of a fool of myself. Um, at the same time, maybe I've done that too much in the past, perhaps, but for the sake of you know furthering the conversation and getting to know somebody a bit better. But it was a really it was a good chat. Was, she's an inclusivity officer at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, so she she knows what she's talking about. That's a good person to have that conversation with. <laughs> straight <laughs> yeah. up, straight up. Hi, Kerry, if you're listening. Very, very good. All right. So, so you have to bounce, I believe. You've got to... I do. I'm a po- apologies if you can you can hear a very soulful band in the background. 
um, working on a very secret, well, it's not a secret project, it's a special project that Tando is actually going to be part of. So I'm just out, I'm out here keeping, keeping the set warm, making sure that everything's in its right place for when she gets to studio tomorrow. Yeah, where's, where's the wait. studio? It's in Williamstown. It's um, it's it's actually it's super cool. It's for a show called Muso Stream on Channel Thirty One. Um, thankfully, Rye, uh, the production company was able to secure a whole bunch of Rise funding, which is amazing, um, to film and record live sets in freaking lockdown in Melbourne. Unheard which of. Which is amazing. Unheard of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's. I think that it's screening every Wednesday at 8.30 on Channel 31. Um, a whole swag of different artists as well. There's been Loser, uh, Grand Pine, um, Kim Salmon did his Haunted Stories the other week, which is incredible. Uh, we've got Cooking on Three Burners coming up, Tando, Meltdown, Sex on Toast, like a whole bunch of people are just getting involved. So it's good to you know be around music like this especially as things are starting to open up Mm. unexpected plug but i'm like i need to explain (laughs) why it sounds like i'm in a fucking venue in a garage right now (laughs) (laughs) terrific all right so so it's got a dip we're going to start this episode in just a moment it'll be in your feed already if you're a subscriber thank you tando for weighing in on uh young thug and how to capture ideas and Adele is a nice Adele's appreciation session and then going into your career and talking about getting Zimbabwe artists for life in color and everything about that and big shouts to your daughter who will one day hear this whole thing. Yay! (laughs) Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun.